This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hi, Will. How are things? Doing well, doing well. Obviously, it's nice to be coming in to record uh, after a great Ireland win, probably their biggest since that All Blacks won a couple of years ago. And even better, when I was the only one in the Irish Independent from 12 so-called experts who tipped Ireland to win. That's the real top-line news. The Ireland win just being under that, I think. What did you want me to just congratulate you or something? Yeah, like, well, you know, something I've been, you're just basically calling me a, a complete idiot, so <laughs> I won't be doing that. Uh, no, delighted to be in as well, talking about a really positive week for, for the Irish team. Um, we have been putting the pressure on them. I think we'd see no evidence to support uh, that kind of performance and result. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really pleasing to, 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 to see that, you know, and I think um i will say i think england were, were poor um but we were very good too um so yeah combination of the two that's where you get a score on like that so it's great to be here chatting about that i'm delighted actually yeah plenty to talk about like to be joined by rory o'connor as well rory how's things good thanks well yourself yeah yeah good thanks so you know i suppose you know as i mentioned at the top probably the best performance and win since since 2018 against the all blacks that's probably not really even up for debate i wouldn't have thought um considering the last four meetings against england have been so one-sided and, and quite similar like for you what what changed so substantially like where where did this come from what like what jumps out to you a few days later now just thinking about it like should be asking you will you were the one who saw it coming <laughs> thanks um, <laughs> that, that's the reaction i wanted Luke. that's the... <laughs> oh, you take it away you know um well, I think England were poor. Um, I think a couple of things went Ireland's way in the first 20 minutes that that, that that you have to have go your way if you're going to win a game like that, which especially when you're coming off a couple of middling performances when maybe, you know, you need things to feed into your belief system. I, I, I think belief is a, is a big part of it. Um, and Robbie Henshaw played an awful lot uh, in that. You know, it wasn't luck. It was, it was a player in your team forcing the issue, making big plays. And that, I think, fed into the rest of the team. I think the fact that they repelled that English assault after 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes, when England almost scored a try to make it 10-0. And, and I think Arnold were a little bit lucky that it wasn't a penalty try and a yellow card, which I think, you know, we're not talking about a famous win then. Um, we're talking about a very difficult situation and a, a situation Ireland probably don't get out of. And this is not to be overly negative. Like, it's it's a, it's really to their credit that they got themselves out of that situation because for the first 10 minutes, certainly in the stadium, the feeling was, here we go again. England looked dominant. Toje was doing Toje things. And Ireland were kind of make you know, they ran the ball into touch twice, once off of a, a, a set-piece scrum. Yeah, the first one you're thinking, oh, God, this is not going to go well. It didn't. And it, and, and it did a few times, though. Yeah. They did it throughout the tournament, which is, which is really weird. And no one else is doing that. They kicked away turnover possession again, I think, as well. Like, it was just loads of the stuff that we saw in the rest of the tournament, which makes the, what followed all the more pleasing. And Farrell, as well, who, fairness to him, never got overly pissed, pissed off during the, the earlier stuff. And never he was fairly even keel. He was never that carried away with the defeats. And he wasn't carried away on Saturday after the match either. He said, look, our first 20 minutes wasn't up to it. That's, that's somewhere where we need to start off. So I think Henshaw made a couple of big impacts that gave the team belief. And then the Keith Darrell's thing happens. And that you could see what that gave to them in terms of their celebration. That was just a, 
I, I'm sure Luke could speak to this, a moment where the team drew great belief with something that they planned and tried on the training ground coming off. And from there, they just looked like a different team. It was a bit like the Scotland game in the Autumn Nations Cup when they got, remember they got Duncan Taylor sent off when they went coast to coast and he, he ended up going offside. And it was just their attack clicked once and from the rest of the game, they just believed in themselves again. And maybe it's almost a pity they don't have any more games after this because you'd love to see how that confidence would feed into a, a, a performance next week from the start. But from there on in, they were accurate. They were, they were aggressive, accurate. They were ambitious in what they did. They controlled the game very well. And England were beating Dockett and they, they kept their foot on, the, on, the, on their throats even when they had 14 and 13 men at, at the end. And it was the most impressive performance of the Andy Farrell era so far and definitely the most important, impressive performance since that uh, New Zealand game. And yeah, the one shame I, I do think is that like they're not going to play together as a, as a proper team until November. And it's just such a shame that they have this bit of impetus now and really like it'll be pretty irrelevant come then in, in so many ways because like lads will be injured and, and form will have, have changed and new players will have come through. So it's, it's almost a shame that it counted for so little. But I think in this era... Of COVID, when people are can have nothing to cheer and nothing to to enjoy, it's important not to be too downbeat. That was a, it was, a, it was a, it's still important you beat England, and it's still uh, it still meant a lot to a lot of people and to those players as well. Yeah, it's funny in terms of being a potential launch pad and there being a bit of a lull. It kind of reminds me of that All Blacks game. I know Ireland ultimately lost that famous one when Ryan Crowley scored the try, but there was a feeling that it was such a good display that you know there was questions: could this be the catalyst for something great? They ended up winning the next Six Nations after a couple of months later. So it'll be interesting to see, as you say, when they do regroup and regather in the autumn, is it sustainable? But, for, but firstly, Luke, before we get into some of those questions and a few specifics, like for you, for that great performance, you know. What 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 were the highlights for you? What what did you think they got so right to deliver that? Um, yeah, look, I think there was a little bit of luck. I think at the start, um, which Rhodes Rhodes mentioned, you do need that at times. Um, I was surprised with how England faded. Um, they really looked like they lost belief after a few fairly big moments went Ireland's way, but that's probably been the way with them. Um, they've been a bit shaky. I think they look like a team who've lost their mojo a little bit. Um, look like they need probably a few change-ups in selection. It looks like the Saracens thing has really impacted them. Uh, I would say that Atoje looks like he's missing a partner in crime and looks like they really miss Cruz or they miss Launchbury or someone just to settle him in there and add a little bit of weight. Um, and that's just, I suppose, a reflection. I think the English, the, the Saris guys just don't look themselves at all. Um, they're all out of sorts playing division one rugby like we talk about the step up from club rugby to international but that's that's two or three step rungs behind and the rungs don't get shorter they get longer um so they're they're a good bit off the pace uh so that'll be an interesting space to watch you know this far out from the world cup do they make changes now or do they do they uh do they stick or twist i suppose so just just that was a little bit on that i thought from ireland's perspective what i did think was interesting was a lot of stuff that are kind of Joe Schmidt things that we were saying we needed to change were kind of key to the win. Really strong in the air. I thought Keenan was excellent at the back. I thought the guys competed brilliantly in the air. You know, uh, Robbie Henshaw was brilliant in the air uh, going forward, attacking. Uh, Keith Earls was good there, made it messy as well. Um, I thought the line-out and the scrum were excellent. And they were actually very good throughout the championship. Now, I know the, the our, our attacking line-out, I think, probably grew into itself and got better through the championship. But our defensive line-out throughout was brilliant. Um, that, there was never any complaints with that. Um, and I thought, the, um, I thought we won the collisions. And I thought we did that in the tight exchanges. You hear me, I'm sure you're here, bored of hearing me go on about this, but I've been just banging on about all the best teams playmaking amongst their forwards and having to have those people with the ability to do that. I think I heard Raj talking about it quite a lot after the game as well, um, as it kind of stood out to him. But I think Ty Furlong makes a massive, massive difference there. He's got the confidence in his own handling to get the ball out of tight exchanges when there's pressure on him. It opens up the pitch for you. It creates indecision amongst the the uh, defensive team. I thought England's defence was poor now, uh, but leaving that aside, they were really, really good. I thought Ty Burns handling... I mean, that was brilliant. They missed Will Connors, who was, who's been brilliant throughout the championship, his handling ability, but um, it didn't really show because I thought Ty Furlong really picked up the uh, the extra bit there. 
Um, so that made a big difference. And once you're doing that, once you're able to open up that extra part of the pitch and the other team aren't defending well, they're slightly on the back foot, it's a very different game. Like how good, how slick did Johnny Sexton look like? I thought as well he attacked the line quite a bit, which helped, kept teams very, very honest. Um, I thought Conor Murray's kicking was brilliant. So all of these things I thought really, really helped. Now, Ireland's discipline won't have looked that good because of the last five, ten minutes, but really it was very good throughout. And I thought that was a big point of difference between Ireland and England. England's discipline throughout the championship at times was atrocious. Um, so they're my thoughts on it, Will. They were, I thought, like there's a lot of things I've mentioned there um, that I think go into you know performance like that because I think lots of things have to click to put you know however 30 points on England that's that's a big day out for you I think um and everything did click but lots of things that I think they can work on and, and gain confidence from but they need to deliver it now you know consistently and, and that's the big challenge for the team as Rudd said they've got a big break now can they bring that into the next one yeah Roy like because that's the, the question I think that this performance begs and it, it did to me in the second half anyway like I thought it was so good especially when they got humming the disallowed try like and, and the second Conan try they were both like really good long passes of play when the ball was moved you know you know from point to point the question I would have is you know why did it take so long you know what 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 was what was the kind of the missing ingredient because it, it didn't feel like anything they did was revolutionary it was just you know kind of things that people had been hoping to see you know coming together in, in a big stage against a good team like, why has it taken so long, do you think? It, it's a very interesting question. Like, I do think that that they're, they are being empowered to make a lot of the decisions themselves. Um, whereas I think some of some of it was more, sorry, it was more prescriptive in the past. I think some of the game plan was more laid out for them. And I think maybe that's taken some time. I think the run of games has been beneficial to a lot of players like Sexton, I think, has benefited from, from playing 80 minutes, 80 minutes, and his confidence has gotten much better. Um, Earl is the same, and I, Henshaw is really benefiting from just touch wood, not having an injury for some time. Um, conversely, Connor Murray, I think, got a bit of a rocket from seeing Jemison Gibson Park picked again ahead of him and have to sit in the stand for 80 minutes, which I criticised. You know, I thought he should have come out of Murrayfield. But the flip side is that Connor Murray was untouchable for, for a long time, but he's been dropped for two big games now where he was fit. Fickin' him in, the, in a November and Murrayfield. And he was left in the stand and and he has watched Gibson Park and he has to now go, well, why is that guy getting picked ahead of me? He's put back in. And what I thought the big difference was around Jack Holmes' try, which I really liked, which I, I kind of focused in on my for my piece on Monday. He never, I think only once did he give the ball to the player who was standing closest to the rook. It was always the second, third or fourth man out. His pass was slick. It was, apart from the one that went to ground and, and Stockdale bailed him out. His pass was really crisp and he always went for the, for the most difficult pass almost, almost every time. And that meant England were never able to were never able to just smash the guy who was close to the rook, which is often TJ Stander and it's often been really, really slow ball for Ireland and it's forced them into that box kick and it's forced them into going backwards. And I think that was really, really critical to what they were doing. And I think maybe it's, it's that time in the jersey, it's the fact that they've been training together for eight weeks that they're able to, that they have that bit more trust in each other, that they're able to do that. The conditions were pretty good on Saturday. That has to help as well. They're all things that I probably, you know, you sometimes overlook when you come to analysing games. They've been, they've been very, really, really, really positive over the course of the last eight weeks about what they've been doing in training. And we never see that. We don't, like, in COVID times, you don't even get to watch the first five minutes of warm-up. But, like, you know, we're not allowed into training. We're not allowed to see. We can't judge them on what they do in training. We can only judge them on the end product. And the end product hasn't been good enough over the course of the last couple of weeks, but it's clear that what they have been doing came out in that in that uh, in in that eighty minutes, and in particular in that three minutes where they built up the Conan's try, and that's what you would draw confidence in the fact that they were able to execute so well in that period. But um, so yeah, like I, we hadn't seen it before, and that's why it was a bit of a surprise to us all that they were able to do it so well. But it's it's really heartening that they were able to do it, and I think it'll put a bit of. Uh, I think it's kind of a bit of a signal to teams that Ireland are back a little bit as well, you know? Yeah, and as you said, like, it's a shame that there wasn't, say, one match left, like the way France was playing Scotland, just to see if this could be repeated next week, because it was, if this is the benchmark for this team, if they can hit this performance, you know, on a regular basis, 
they'll be back to where they were a couple of years ago when it looked like they were one of the powerhouses in the game. Luke, you know, Rudd mentioned Conor Murray there and, uh, you know, he had a really good performance. I'd be interested to know what you make of it for me going into the game. And it's one of the reasons I thought Ireland had a chance of winning was I thought there was a couple of players in a similar position to say like Rob Carney before that game in Chicago where Joe Schmidt went up to him and was like, I need a big one from me today. I thought there was a couple of guys who were almost playing for their their, you know, their future in, in, in an Ireland jersey, that if it didn't go well, if it was a similar story against England, a couple of guys you'd be thinking, is it is it is their race run? But the opposite happened. They they stood up, they delivered. You know, he looked as good as he had, you know, the year they, they swept everyone away. Like, what, what did you make of him and those other kind of players maybe who rose to the occasion? Yeah, it's a really good point. And the only person in the studio and... Um um in, in virgin uh was mckinley mentioned that he thought ireland would win because he he said the same the exact same thing you're kind of saying there is that he felt that there was a few kind of key guys who were under serious pressure to perform and he kind of backed them um generally i don't think those situations work when you've that many of them coming in they generally don't work that yeah. well you don't want six or seven of them like in the Rob Carney position did. usually. We had five yeah. didn't we have five I think yeah. wasn't it five kind of fairly key changes um some of them forced upon him but um Look, they were really good. Do you know who I thought had a really good championship, actually, was Ian Henderson. Um, Ty Byrne would get all the plaudits, but Ian Henderson was really good. Really, I thought he was really solid. Uh, called the line out well. I think he was calling the line out, it looked yeah, like. Um, you know, I, I thought he was really measured and assured. He, you know, he had a few moments, but sure, I, I thought, like, the Welsh match, um, you know, for one of those tries, he probably had one or two bad moments in a row. But other than that, I just thought he was really solid throughout. Uh, the championship. I was really pleased for him. Uh, he's the kind of guy who's been brilliant, but has had some kind of in, kind of interrupted career with injury yeah. here and there. Never really any massive ones, but just small ones. The Conor Murray thing, uh, yeah, a bit of pressure. You know, sometimes those things are really good for players. I thought it was an error not to. You know, I would always pick Conor Murray there. Um, or yeah, I just don't know if I pick James. There's probably a different reason why, and I really don't want to get into that this week. Um, but yeah, he had something to prove in there, and I thought he was brilliant. I thought his kicking, so, I mean, it takes so much pressure off that he can go for touch finders. I mean, his his accuracy when he's on form there uh, with the boot was brilliant. And as well, I'm sure he's looking at Craig Casey. He's got to be feeling the heat. That guy's really good. I think I think he's got pressure in Munster now as well, like real pressure from an Irish guy that they'll be looking to push. He, he's definitely the future there. So he's got a real fight in his hands now to see if he can hold him off for another couple of years. I would imagine, and I don't know this, but I think it's Connor probably... Is he negotiating a contract or is he close to it? Um, possibly, maybe he's next year, but I'm sure he's there, thereabouts. Well, he's there, thereabouts, and finances are pretty tight. Like, he needs to play well. He needs to be in the team if he wants to get the you know, good next one to make it to the World Cup. So, yeah, I think there was a few guys. Josh van der Fleer was another guy. I thought Connors was excellent when he was in, but Josh was outstanding on the weekend. So, he had a big point to prove. Jack Conan was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I mean, he's a guy that excites. He's similar to Henderson, where he's had kind of a fairly interrupted career injury-wise. Doris has come in and been brilliant. So he must be feeling the pressure too. And he really delivered. I mean, that I don't know how. I mean, Curry, look, there was people saying that Curry shouldn't have competed for that one, but that was a fingernail away from a knock-on for or or a messy ball for Ireland and it not working out. I know people say he should have been sitting on the inside and waiting for for um for Conan to take that and that the first defender should be in, in the defensive line should be taking Conan there. But I don't know. He was so, if you look how close he was to getting there, that was a brilliant piece of skill. So yeah, there was all these guys. And I mean, look in the, we, we, we must probably give an honorable mention as well to, to poor old Dave Kilcoyne, um, who I thought was excellent. Any chance he got in the championship, but geez, that was a really unlucky knock to the head for him. So um, there was loads of guys who did very well. And um, that, as you said, were under pressure. And it was great to see because what it really does now is it makes for a very intriguing watching as to who gets selected for the next uh, the, the, the next game for Ireland uh, with lots of rugby to be played in the interim with lots of interesting things like Joey Carberry back in the mix. And um, that'll be interesting to watch that. Uh, how does James Lowe react? He's been brilliant for a very long time for Leinster and has had a really tough campaign. There's all these subplots now that we're watching. Plus, we have a Lions tour as well. So, uh, well, we're hoping we have a Lions tour. So, um, yeah, great point to make, Will. Yourself and Ian McKinley were the only two I heard, actually, who said it. No, seriously. Um, I thought Ian McKinley, I really was like, he has no idea what he's talking about. That's garbage. <laughs> 
but he was right. <laughs> and yeah. so were you, Will. So there you go. <laughs> well, I just knew. Well, I just knew that there wasn't going to be many people tipping Ireland. I was like, if if they lose, no one's going to remember. But if they win, uh... can I, can I say one thing as well? So I know I've rambled on for a bit, but that is the the the, the kicks to the corner is the worst tactic ever. By the way, uh, we saw that with England. I don't know why people. It's so rare you get a chance to to have a shot for points in international rugby with no one competing against you, just the elements. Take your shots at goal. England turned down two. It was a big mistake. Uh, and Ireland turned down a few. So I just thought it was a big, big mistake. Um, and secondly, they need to stop picking the Ford and Farrell axis. It's not, it's not up to scratch. Every time against a team who competes with them physically, they get exposed. They have to dominate physically for that combination to work. Um, so there, there's my last two points on, on, on the game that I think. Sorry, sorry. I know I, I hate to interrupt you there if you had a question for Rhodes, but I just needed to say it because it wrecked my head in the World Cup because they kicked the crap out of New Zealand uh, in, in the in the physical stakes. But then South Africa uh, didn't happen and they looked like a blunt force. They really missed Tuilagi there. No, yeah, George Ford is someone who, you know, it's funny, like the England squad has kind of gone a bit of the way that people would have criticised the Ireland squad, but a lot of guys who are really experienced have delivered big days, but, you know, it takes a long time to get out of that team. Like George Ford has been in the squad for six, seven years at this stage. You have unbelievable out halves in the Premiership like Joe Simmons and Marcus Smith who've never even been capped. It's a strange one. I think that'll be one of the areas Eddie Jones will probably have to change over the next year. But we're just some few other things Luke mentioned there. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on was Ian Henderson. He was a guy that I think before the tournament we kind of had a chat about and kind of came away thinking that a great player, but we were wondering, did he have more to give? Did he Had he reached his potential? This was probably the tournament where it all came together from a bit. He even captained Ireland against France, and I know they lost, but I thought he spoke quite impressively that week and and seemed to, to take to the role quite well. You know, I think he he's he was probably the best second round in the tournament, you know, uh, by the end but at the end of the day. Like, you know, Alan Wynne Jones was a good tournament. AWJ, still the man. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we can debate that. At least two of them can start for the Lions, so like we don't have to pick one of them. But uh, it, it, it was some tournament form. Was this just kind of like him putting it all together in, in a way? Yeah, and, you know, Luke's been in a dressing room with him and, he's, and Luke would have seen the early years of his career when he was this physical specimen. Funny, um... Sean O'Brien wrote in his book that he's the closest thing Ireland have to Maro Atoje. And that's really something like it was. Uh, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but it like it was in the middle of a chapter about something else completely. And it's just this paragraph where it's just he assesses Ian Henderson's career and he goes, This guy is a special player, but he doesn't really realize himself how, how good he is. And um, it's it was really interesting. He did an hour long podcast with Niall Annert, who plays for the Worcester Warriors, he's a former Worcester player, um, who's a good mate of his, and spoke about himself and his career to date and how um he had to be pulled aside in the Ulster Academy and said, mate, like you're a terrible trainer. You're like you're, we, we usually have a problem that brilliant people are brilliant in training and they're terrible in, on a Saturday. But he said, like you're we're the complete opposite with you. You're brilliant on a Saturday, but you look like you don't care around the place. And I think he actually said, I, I used to prefer that people thought that about me. I, I liked being a kind of a, almost like a hidden gem around the place that I, that I, um, you know, that I, that I train crap and play well. And I think he's matured. I think it's taken a, a bit of, like he's an intelligent person. Um, he's a really good athlete. He's quite relaxed and quite chilled out. And he comes across as being that way as well. And I think 2015 World Cup was the first time we really saw him at this level go. And he was really, really good, particularly in that game against France in the pool stage. He was really powerful. He didn't really back it up in the quarterfinal. And then four years later, he was the best player against Scotland. And he was really important in the 2018 Grand Slam win against France. And the build up to that Johnny Sexton drop goal, he carries the ball three or four times. And Ireland don't get that drop goal without Ian Henderson. Um, He was really, really important that year as well. And we got to the quarterfinal. He didn't play well in the quarterfinal. And basically what, what Sean O'Brien says is that when Ireland, when Ian Henderson plays well, Ireland play well. And I think coming from Sean O'Brien, who was probably one of the players who you would say that about during his own career, it's a pretty high compliment. But also there's a there's a challenge there from Sean O'Brien to say to Ian Henderson, you need to, to do this every week because you're more Ireland, you're potentially Ireland's most important player, which I don't think anyone really considers him outside of Ulster anyway. And I think we saw that this this window. I think we saw when he played well, Ireland played well. He was really good in the first half against France. And I think him getting knocked out, or at least going off for HIA, knocked Ireland off their stride that day. But I thought he was really consistent. He's not the kind of barnstorming carrier. He, he can do it sometimes, but he's not as he's not a repeat carrier in the way that he was in 2015 when he was younger. But he's a much more rounded second row. And I think he, he had a really good tournament. And I think if you put him beside James Ryan, he'll get you those numbers. 
you've got a really, really nice partnership. And like, I think Ty Byrne's future at international level is at six, but he could do a very good job in the second row as well. Plus you have Ryan Baird, who is just looking like the, the business every time you see him. You have Delan, you have Thornbury back at Connacht, who's ripping up trees. And um, like Jack Dunn, Leinster looks like an absolute unit who, who could come through as well. Finney Mitchell is a good player down in Munster. Like we, Ireland have good second row options at the moment, but they're go- those players are going to have to get to an unbelievable level to knock either of James Ryan or Ian Henderson out of that jersey. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting if the Lions tour does go ahead. You know, if Henderson goes, if he can force his way in. Because 2017, he went. He was probably lucky to go. He didn't really. He didn't cover himself in glory out there, performance wise. This it, feel it, like he. He's actually, I think if you ask Gatland, it might be in Gatland's book. He's the, I think he said Henderson was the le- the most unlucky player not to get a test cap. He was like Conor Murray in 13. He had a, in that he played his way, he got better and better as it went on. And I think if there was a fourth test, he would have he would have been involved. He uh he, what his problem was he was one of the players who stank the joint out in that first game. There was a, a game against the New Zealand Barbarians in, in uh Vangarai, which is up in the North Island, and they just got off the plane and they were jet lagged, and he was horrendous that night. And Johnny Sexton was awful, and Dan Bigger got a concussion, so Johnny had to play three games in a week, and Johnny played his way into form. Whereas Henderson basically got onto the midweek team, but by the time they played the Hurricanes in the last game in 2017 of, of the midweek games, he was like the best player on the pitch. He was incredible that night, but it was just too late for him to break up the test team. So I think that like he actually, I think that the Lions have a huge respect. I think Gatlin has huge respect for him. The tour just didn't break his way. A bit like Henshaw as well on that tour. The tour never really broke for him. I think the way the Lions is now with shorter tours, it's really, really hard to play your way into the testing. Yeah, just you mentioned of Henshaw there brings me perfectly to kind of my last point on Ireland before we maybe talk about the Welsh-France uh, game. Luke, like Robbie Henshaw, like what a succession he had. If Ty Byrne was probably the best forward, Robbie Henshaw certainly the best back probably over the course of the campaign. You know, what have you made of just his form, his development, he seems to be the form inside centre in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. Uh, he's just playing unbelievable rugby, as Rudd said, the kind of the catalyst maybe at the weekend and throughout the tournament, you know, even in that Welsh game. Yeah, yeah even, sorry, you were going to say it, Jeff. Sorry. Well, my question sorry, was pretty much finished. Sorry. Sorry. You were going to say the Welsh game and I was like, that try was, I mean, that was a super break as well there, yeah. Like, look, I just think the key for him is that he's fit. That's it. Like, he's always brilliant. Like, there had been question marks towards the end of the Joe Schmidt era whether the team or Joe or the system was getting the best out of him. Well, Dan, I think he see. I think the the argument has always been that um, maybe that he didn't have the ball handling bit. Um, I'm still not certain that that's his strength. Anyway, um, I think he's able to do it. I think he's better than people think he is at at the ball handling part. I think Leinster's been very good for that, and I thought Connacht was probably it probably was good for him, but. As is, you know, Joe was probably a bit more direct in there and focus and like a huge amount of the focus was definitely on Connor and Johnny being the playmakers. And that was how the ball was going. Like, I didn't really, the, the other guys were kind of decoys or they were there to keep people kind of fairly honest. Um, Robbie's brilliant. Like, well, you know, my views on him, like every time, you know, there's a big Leinster match, you hear me wax lyrical about him. Like I love, he's the kind of a guy you'd love to play in the center with. He's really brave. Uh, nearly to a fault, actually. Um, you know, you saw that even the high ball take at the start, like it just really unsettled England, I thought. Um, he's brilliant there. I mean, the last time I saw him play a bad game was, I think, that game against... Uh, oh, well, sorry, he's one, one other shaky one, Byrne, but the full, the game he played at fullback was the only time I think he looked a little bit shaky, but, um, geez, he's so good. He's He'd be great to play beside. I didn't get to play alongside Robbie very often, but he's a real... I, I love watching him. He's one of my favourite players to watch. And um, we're, we're lucky to have him. And I think he's a dead cert, provided he can stay uh, fit to get on that Lions tour. He was outstanding throughout the championship, I thought. Yeah, no, he was brilliant. And as you say, he probably in everyone's test team at the moment. Last thing on Ireland actually wrote before we move on, Paul O'Connell's influence. Um, you know, it was one of those appointments that was eye-catching. People thought maybe it's just, just a way of maybe deflecting from the performances, getting in a legend that everyone can get behind. But immediately from the first game, his influence looked there. It was pronounced throughout the championship. I saw Sinead Kassan tweet, and I think it's a great idea. Maybe he should go with Warren Gatlin on the Lions tour, you know, as the forwards coach, you know, going up against the Springboks. What, what better man? Like, it really has been an outstanding impact in such a short space of time, especially for someone who was on the fence about coaching. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was a bit concerning that midway through the tournament, after the two defeats, maybe it was the week of the Italy game, it might have been the week after, he was asked how he was getting on, and he kind of 
kind of talked about how hard it was and how, how difficult he was finding it. And and because I think they need to keep Paul O'Connell happy and part of it because I think his status carries so much weight with the players and the fact that he has the brain and the coaching ability to back it up is 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 a pretty potent mix. And uh from I think it was really important that Ireland's line out like when we asked my cat what was wrong with Ireland's attack last year, he said, Well, we didn't have the, the platform to play off. And the problem my cat had during this tournament was they had a great platform and they still didn't play off it. But but they got there in the end, I guess. But like it really like the security out of touch was really impressive. Their breakdown, they had the quickest ball of the tournament, they the most successful rook. He he did take charge of the breakdown as well, from my knowledge. Um they were really good on poach as well. Like they they they, they chose their moments really well. And what well, the most impressive, which wasn't a factor on Saturday because because England basically cancelled it out, and in fairness, England are, are a really, really good line out as well. Was their defensive line out in the four other games was outstanding. And I think it's one of the one of the most frustrating things I have watching teams is when they don't have a good defensive line out. When you see the, the All Blacks, when Whitelock and Ritalik are there, um, when you see Ireland the way they dismantled England in 2017 when Peter Romani was at his like unbelievable best, like denying your up like the way Ireland emasculated the Scottish line out two weeks ago and won six I think it was was just outstanding and it just basically uh, stopped Scotland from playing so it's it's it, he's brought that which Ireland Ireland have always been okay at it and they've had good moments but they were consistently really good and they, they must be hell to play against like if you're a hooker playing against Ireland you must be just dreading it because they're going to go after you and they're going to hunt you. And and they, I think because Burma went into the second row on Saturday and they didn't really bring a lineup forward in, like Stander, he can't really lift. Stander actually did win a one against the head in the Wales game, but really he's not a lineup forward. But um, if you have a Burn or, or a Romani at six, it's really, you've got three really good defensive lineup jumpers. So no, he's, he's had a re- really big impact. And I think the coaching staff as a whole, I mean, Whatever about the game plan, which obviously is the most important part of their job, I think the fact that they kept a happy camp for eight weeks in lockdown can't be overlooked. And I think what Farrell has done is that he has made it a lot less intense place to go. I think, he, and I think that's really important in COVID times when you like. I think they can only spend fifteen minutes in each other's company before they have to go into another room, or they spend a lot of times in the rooms. I think, I think, like the fact that they have Abbottstown now has helped them kind of depressurize Carton House. I think Carton House is a more relaxed place. I think they, they've separated work and, and play a little bit in that way. But I mean, that camp must have been really difficult for them. And, and one of the things that was really notable last week was Ellis Genge talking about how tough it was to be an England player during this tournament. Never really heard the Irish players talk about how tough it was. I think they all really enjoyed it, which considering the constraints they're working under is no mean feat. So I do think in, in the, the environment that those coaches created um, and the fact they lost their first two games, surely that must have been difficult. They must have been down on themselves, but they managed to get through it and come out of it with a pep in their step. So I think that can't be underestimated either. Yeah, no, it was, it's a very tough, I suppose, environment to have it for eight weeks. I know they can get out for maybe a couple of days here and there, but it, it, very intense, I'm sure. Okay, France-Wales then, Luke. Absolutely fantastic game. Absolutely bonkers. The last 15 minutes were crazy. France opting for two scrums, not just one. And like really like taking their time to set when the clock was like ticking down was my personal highlight. But, uh, you know, overall, I know the championship isn't finished, but what a great end to that Super Saturday. Ah, it was brilliant. Yeah, it's a shame that that wasn't really the last part of it. And we have got to wait, uh, you know, another week for it. But, um, yeah, it was just so exciting, wasn't it? I thought... uh, both defences were, um, I thought Wales were better than France, actually. Wales, well, France are still very difficult to contain. And they actually had moments of magic that split the Welsh defence. And I thought were very, actually very hard to defend. I thought there was some brilliant French play. Um, France's defence was poor, actually. Um, you know, I thought they, um, in the, particularly in the, some of the wide channels, I thought they slipped off a few ch- the tackles. They, they're generally, or they have been under uh, Sean Edwards, very robust, uh, you know, in the tight parts uh, and in the kind of middle portion of the defence. As you'd expect with a Sean Edwards defence, very, very robust and aggressive there off the line. Thought they were relatively passive throughout the game for, for large parts. And Wales are very, they, I mean, if you allow Wales to play, they're very difficult to contain. Zamet is a, a, a player. He looks like, he just looks like such an athlete. Um, difficult to stop. I think the two boys in the centre are, I mean, Johnny Davies and, and, and George North. I mean, that's exactly how, you know, if that if, if you give them any kind of momentum in those places that generally France have been pretty good since Edwards came in, 
if you if you're not aggressive there, if you allow uh, Wales front football, you know, I thought Fiku and Vakatau did well at times against them, but they still got gain lines where generally, you know, they haven't been that easy to come by against France. Um, so look, it was a really tight game. Um, but if you don't win the physical battle against Wales, they've got some serious athletes there. And I thought that's what it looked like for large portions until the, the, the brilliance at the end. I mean, Fiku with the little hole of the ball and, you know, where he left it kind of cocked on his right hip and then straightened so that he could still pass as soon as there was a slight bit of commitment. I mean, it was it was a brilliant try to finish a brilliant match. And I was gutted for Wales in some respects, but my, my, my feelings still are that they kind of overachieved in the championship and they gained in confidence throughout. I feel like Ireland should have beaten them in the first game. I actually thought outside of, um, you know, outside of the English game, the Welsh game was probably the Ireland's best game, I actually thought, for, for large portions of it, particularly considering they had 14. But with the 15 at the start, they looked really, really good and sharp. Um, so I think probably justification, particularly given that I think France are are a very, very good team. So are a better team than them as well. But um, it was a great match. And it was, I was just, it really made, like, I wish that, as I said earlier on, that that was the last game of the championship. Like it would have made for an absolute belter, but uh, it was a joy to watch. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, like ironically, Welch's only defeat is probably, was probably their best performance considering the helping hand they got from the refs against England and the two red cards in the other two games. I thought they were really good for long periods by the last 10 when they ran out of gas. And I thought Ron O'Gara probably summed it up the best because obviously everyone was focusing on the great game that Wales were 10 seconds away from winning a Grand Slam and one penalty. I was trying to think of that had happened to Ireland. I don't think we'd ever have recovered. Uh, Wales have a lot of Grand Slams, so maybe it's slightly easier. But um, They're yeah. joint top with England, I think, in the, in the Six Nations era, aren't they? I five think, each, yeah. Was it yeah. five? I think like, Wales and Wales have the most Grand Slams. I think in the Six Nations era with four. Oh, I think really? they've they have five oh, they have five tournaments each, but I think Wales actually have the oh, most okay. Grand Slams. I think France maybe amazing have three. Amazing stat, really. I know it's their national sport, kind of, but it's pretty amazing stat. In fairness, like incredible. Yeah, what is it? Alan Wynne Jones has won the same amount of Grand Slams as Ireland in their history, and like you know, three three each, which is pretty depressing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Rud, like, uh, how did you kind of? What was your kind of takeaway from it? Like it was an unbelievable game. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was it was insane. Uh, one thing I just on the on France's defence, and I don't think it was discussed enough after the England game. I wonder, and maybe it'll come out after the tournament. How much of an impact did the COVID outbreak have on the French in terms of their physio like the physiological elements of after squad getting COVID and and. Like we're here, like I remember Jack Byrne, the Rovers or the former Shamrock Rovers and Ireland footballer, um, talking about how it hit him for six. I just wonder whether I might feed into this weekend. How are their energy levels going into Scotland? Um, it was just something I didn't hear discussed, you know, that much in the aftermath of that second half in England, where they kind of fell away a little bit and lost their way. I mean, it was it was remarkable. It was brilliant. Um, it was one of the best games we're ever going to see. I think it's a game we're going to be talking about for a long time. That's kind of a that and the England game last week, you know, they're, they're two of the best in terms of entertainment. It's, it's just such a pity that there was no crowd at either the Viva or the Stade de France at the weekend. Um, I mean, I think we probably don't have, you probably need a podcast on its own to go through every one of the TMO calls. Um, <laughs> like Wayne, Wayne Barnes in his darkened room. I mean, mate, uh, mate, mate, Barnsley mate. <laughs> mate, mate, mate. Uh, Lucas, got, I know we're, 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 no one can see our Zoom call, but Lucas kind of going for the Wayne Barnes darkened room look. Uh, <laughs> here. I, I, my lighting is off, sorry. In yeah. fairness, I, I thought he did explain things quite well, and I think he could be quite a good TMO. I think one or two of them, I'm, I'm sure, like the one that was held up in particular, I, I, I just, Sorry, I gave it, but I, I, I mean, I never saw the ball being grounded. But they were really meticulous about it. You did, were, I can't say anything to disprove your on-field, uh, you know, your on-field decision. I thought that was. It's no. it's ball it's bollocks, but at the same time, Rod said when I was saying afterwards, if there's like even like a millimeter of the ball on the on the grass and he couldn't see that it wasn't and he'd already given the try, he was I think that's that's the rule. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bad rule, but like added to the, like it added to the theater. I think if, if if anyone from football was watching, that's how they should be doing VAR where you can actually hear it. Because it's like, you know, at least there was a theater to it and it was it was part of it. Um <laughs> I think Wales. I think Wales managed the last ten minutes badly, and I think I know. I know France were exceptional, but he, to get two players him in and in that scenario, they panicked. And I could. I think in the cold light of day, Wayne Pivak would be really annoyed that they got themselves in that position against fourteen men and they lost. But like, it's hard to analyze that game because it was so magnificent that it was so bonkers and it was so much fun. And, and you're right, like, France settling for two scrums when they needed points was just so. 
Like it was so it was so outrageously frustrating, and yet they managed to pull it off. And and I think you know, in fairness, they probably knackered those Welsh forwards even more by putting them through those scrums because they had them in absolute ribbons. Ah, like the, Rudd, the it was honestly the worst game management I have ever seen in a but match. It wasn't, like, I, it I know they ended up winning the game, but like that doesn't make it right. Game. No, but oh, you can't just because they won the game doesn't mean it was the right decision. It it ate about two and a half minutes off the clock, if not more. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a quick great. tap. Like, yeah. but they just no, trust, you, they you know what the French think about scrums? They have a weird love affair with scrums. They they just they. I'm just really bad. I'm oh, sorry, really bad. In fairness to Luke Pierce, they didn't let Wales kill the game because Wales were determined. In the way that Ireland were determined to kill the game in 2013 against the All Blacks, Jack McGrath with his feet. It was the exact same. They were basically and. and they were going off their feet and sealing off at every one of those breakdowns and a less brave referee, and I think Luke Pierce is actually Welsh, I think, so he, he could easily have have let, let it go and let it go and let it go and let Wales kind of go from side to side and seal off, but they were so negative at all, all those breakdowns, they were going, they were sealing off at every one of them, it was the right decision and it was, you know, that was a big call at that level, at that stage of the game. Yeah, no, definitely, no. It, it... Uh, scrum. Love them. <laughs> They love them. They're honestly, they absolutely love them. Over but there. that was the issue that the props are looking at you. Oh, let's make sure we get our body really set for this big effort, <laughs> this big shove. And I think like, we're going to keep it in the score. We're not going to put it in and get it right. We're going to really drive and, forward. It's uh, like, oh my God. Like, it's an aside, though. Like, there's no reason the scrum should take that long. There's no yeah. reason that they should take that long to set it. it, it, it I, I think if you don't, so I, 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 on a weird aside on this one, like, it's they need to resolve that issue. It's it, they do like I was at the I was at a few of our games last year with some colleagues from work um who aren't rugby people and they were like what this is crap they're all soccer guys and they were like what the hell is like what's the story with the scrums like, like it kills it like we're literally watching yeah. guys get organized doing nothing for like a minute before anything happens and then it, we have to start it again a few times they need to get that that needs to be quicker. That, yeah. you're 100%. That, um, I don't know if you saw that, it. That's a weird aside. Sorry. No, MLR brought in a shot clock on kickers. So the US MLR have brought a shot clock on kickers because all the kickers are taking way longer than they're supposed to as well. Like that's all stuff they could. They could that was in the top prepared. 14 before. Definitely. Yeah. It, I think it, yeah. it's, it, I don't know if it's still there, but it's, I, mean, I, yeah. I haven't been able to watch top 14 game in about five, two or three years because it's not in Sky anymore. But, um, but it's definitely something that should be like. <laughs> But should put all the yeah, <laughs> but, it should, it should, um, but it should put the play. We'll put kickers under the pump, and it would shorten the game. Like two hour games are mad. Like that shouldn't really yeah. be happening, even though it was two hours of absolute theater on Saturday night. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Okay, just to finish up, guys, I have five quick fire Six Nations questions to, to end up on. So just quick answers before we finish up. Go between you, Rudd first. Coach, coach of the championship. Wayne Pivac. You can give it one. You can give it one line. We're not that type of time. You can give it like a one line. <laughs> well, like, I mean, you got to consider our Wales. I know, like they they rolled their luck and got the two red cards, but it, you know they stayed disciplined and didn't get men sent off. I mean, both Peter Amani and Andrew Ferguson, you know, made decisions that got themselves sent off in split seconds. So um, Wales were were awful in twenty twenty, and he was in under immense immense pressure. And like you know, one of his players went to a. A gender reveal party on the eve of the state of the tournament. One of his most important players went to a gender reveal party on the eve of the tournament and got himself suspended for the first two games. I mean, everything that could go wrong was going wrong for him, and they almost won a grand slam. And you know, I think that deserves a lot of credit. Um, so yeah, and Galtier went, you know, Galtier broke the bubble, so uh, he he is immediately disqualified for that, even though he didn't get any punishment, he, he's not getting my award. Yeah, Luke, coach of the tournament. Um, I have to go same just based on the results and where they've come from. But I would say, I, I actually might say Paul O'Connell. You look at every part he was involved in. I just, unless, does it, uh, are we thinking just head coaches? No, go over it. It's, it's no. Coach. I think maybe Paul O'Connell had the biggest impact on um, the facets that he was looking after. I thought, so the biggest change in that, um, aside from obviously the larger picture of Wales's results, which you'd say Pivak did a super job. Um, there, I mean, look, we 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 kill them when they don't do well, but we have to give them praise when they do well. And I think I think they they look like they've grown quite a bit. The way he okay. brought on Callum Sheedy and the other halfbacks during, during a key points in big games with half an hour to go. Was, uh, they were balls, balls. Yeah, yeah, balls. Okay. Yeah. We're going back to one word answers now. I kill the uh, the one line. <laughs> Rudd, uh, Irish player of the tournament. Hi, Brian. Luke. 
I say Henshaw, but very uh, no neck and neck with Byrne. An overall player of the tournament, Luke. Ah, Dupont. Rudd. Ooh. It's not over yet. Yeah, no, true. Hog has been good. Hog has been good. Riku. Ooh, Riku. really? Oh, I think he's... Remember he came on the scene a couple of years ago and he looked amazing and then he was like flying average for about four or five years. He never looked... Oh, played him everywhere. Played and, him the- yeah, oh, now he looks like... Like, he looks like an all-black now. I mean, it, just the way he changed the pace in that game, like, in that moment that you talked about earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that skill, by the way, holding the ball on your hip. Like, if you're teaching anyone play, who's a playmaker, it's the hardest thing to do. Dricko was brilliant at it, but um, and so is Darcy, actually. But, yeah, savage bit of skill. I, I, I thought Dupont was amazing again, though, no? Yeah, good. Oh. Didn't think he was that good in, in the Ireland game, even though he had great moments. I don't think he was as good as he was in, before Christmas. I, in fairness, I think the two Irish guys you mentioned are deserved. Like, Tyburn's stats are incredible. Off the charts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, no, but I, I'm going to stick with mine. Yeah, and we don't have time to go in depth on this, unfortunately, because it's going to be an absolute cracker. But final prediction for Leinster Munster the weekend, guys. Like, uh, we, we don't have time to, unfortunately, to talk, talk about length, but, you know, which way do you see it going? We're hoping that we're going to have two full-strength teams I think it, it's looking that way from what the assistant coaches have said this week, I think, but I don't... I'm yeah. going to say, we have to, sorry to cut across, we've got to give this five, Will. I don't care if we go beyond. <laughs> sorry, I'm... I'm, I'm You're pulling rank. I'm co-host rank here. Yeah, okay, uh, fine, go I'm over taking, it. I'm taking my veto. We've got to discuss. It's a monster of a game. Sorry. Mm. Uh, Rhodes, what do you reckon? Sorry. Yeah, it's, no, I like you. It, it's, it's fascinating, and I think until we see the teams, it's going to be hard to, um, to fully... Kind of know who's going to win it. I mean, uh, you know, they better not deny us Sexton versus Carberry. They, they better not deny us that. I don't see Johnny Sexton playing this week, next week, and the week after. I just any of them. I, what? No, I think sorry. I think he'll oh. play against Toulon, oh. and I think he'll play against if they beat Toulon, they've got Exeter. So I think Lencer. Uh, but does it not make sense? To, is Toulon not the game to rest some players? Because Toulon are not the team they were. Know, not, I'm not sure, but like that Toulon yeah. team is bang average. Like Munster, it's a final. I, I, I think this is the team you you put your full strength guys out for. Maybe. And then maybe you're out of line, Rudds. You're out of line. You're way. You can't even see the line. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he's just played 160 minutes to test rugby at 35. Yeah. Um, and look, damn good doing it. Damn. He looked really good. And in fairness, he's in incredible form. So if they if 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 this is to be on L, be all and end all for them, then he plays this week, and then they re- they bring in Ross Byrne or Harry Byrne for the Toulon game. Europe's always been bigger for Leinster. I mean, Leinster have won, what, where are they f- going for five in a row on Saturday? Four or five in a row? But you're going Four. for the, you're, but you're going for the it's final. Final. No? Yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I, I don't have any insight on it. Like, I've, I, I've been off for a day, a day or two. I haven't been asking, but I, if it's Leinster full strength against Munster's full strength, I think it's going to be really tight. I, like, I, I think Munster, Munster's 15 is as good as Leinster's 15 now, almost, on, on their day. I think Leinster's bench is better. And Leinster are missing James Ryan, Gary Ringrose, and Will Connors. I know Connor, like I know Scott Penny's been their best player recently, and they've got Fanner Fleer, who was outstanding at the weekend. But Munster have like 10 years of hurt built up. They've Carberry back, they've Delande in the center, and they've Ty Byrne, who's like you know, artist player of the championship in the in the second row. They've Peter Armani, who's probably pissed off because he didn't start at the weekend. And they've seen the standard going for a trophy before he goes home. And they know that the South Africans are coming into the Pro 14 next, which uh, makes the Pro 14 a lot more difficult to win. I don't think it's going to be a Leinster Munster carve up um, anymore once the Rainbow Cup starts and it, it's it's a Pro 16. It's, it's going to be a lot more difficult to win. So a lot of a lot of things there on the Munster side. You know, Earl's in sharp form. Murray, Leinster have had their number in all these games so far. Even though Munster managed to screw up a couple of them. I mean, the difference in the last couple of ones has been has been JJ Hanner and missing kicks. Joey Carberry doesn't miss those kicks and, and, and adds an air, extra layer to their attack. There's a real chance that they win this game. So I'm going to go Munster. Yeah, Luke, give you the last word then. As Rudd said, before we see the team sheet, it's hard to know exactly what to make of it. But, you know, knowing what we maybe know, what way do you see it going? Yeah, it has the feel of that um, 2011 match a little bit for, for Munster. Is 2011 or was it? Yeah, 2011, yeah. Uh, 2011, yeah. I think John Hayes was retiring um, and they gave him a bloody big send-off. Nigel Owens let them run absolute chaos at the Rook. Um, we were definitely a better team, but, geez, they they milled us on the day. Like, really, they they, they, had, they played brilliantly. Um, 
But in saying that, again, selection dependent, I'd like to have more information. I do think, based on what I know at the moment, I think Leinster will win. I think whilst the home support element is not there, um, I still think they'll be better in the RDS. I think they have enough tools. Uh, I think their pack is still slightly better, um, but that's that's getting closer. Uh, I think they have an edge at hooker. I think they have an edge at tight head, uh, quite a big, large one. Uh, I think they'll miss Ryan, but they've got loads of depth there. They've Dev Toner probably to come in, I would think, at this stage, or Fardy. Um, you know, you've got Baird, who's a real coming force uh, and has something to prove. Um, I think they've got enough. Conan looks like in great form. Um, the pack is always going to decide these ones for me. And Leinster, I still think, have an edge, particularly whoever's on that bench. Um, that is just my call on this one. But I would agree with Rhodes. It's very, very tight. I think if they had Snyman, I might say, I might say, I might think it's tighter. But I think Leinster win. Sorry, I know, Will, you want to finish off. But who's the, who plays in the centre for, for Leinster on Saturday? That is a huge question. Like, and I mean, Sean Roy O'Loughlin, maybe? You could go with O'Loughlin. Like he's the most out for out, he's the most out, out and out one. But like you've got Frawley, you've got like they played Ross Burn there in big that. games. Ross Burn. Ross Burn was very good there, Rudds. But if, I don't know. Will he be able to handle Dialanda? I don't know. Like, like that, I mean, that's a huge that's a huge call. Like how they go. I think they're probably given the size of the game, I think they'll probably go with O'Loughlin because he knows how like it's it's his position and he's a good defender there as well. He's a good player. Yeah. yeah. But if they go for the kind of 10, 12 axis and they play either Frawley or, or, or Burn there, then... O'Brien, O'Brien in there, maybe? No? Maybe, yeah. They, they've got big, options, big, but like... He's a big athlete, though. They're thin, like, they're thin in terms of experience when Ringrose isn't there or Henshaw. Like, they, 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 with Tamane gone, they've left themselves a little bit short in terms of experience. I know Tamane wasn't great, Don't but like... Even- Come on, Rod. You were trying to finish on a it was a break. Note. On that note, on that uh, note, Rod, you brought it to a perfectly natural conclusion, bringing up that. Uh, no, it's set up to be an absolute belter. And now, Luke, you're basically just a floating head in the darkness now. So it's, it's pretty way, disconcerting. Sorry. You can't see it on, on the podcast, but full way Yeah. But by the way, Will, can you actually make a prediction um, to our face this time instead of you know, you know, calling it? Oh, I, I did. I called it, but that's uh, da da da. Yeah, I, I, I like to sneak it into the weekend paper. No, I actually, I was sneaking feeling like Rod. Depending on the team sheets, if Leinster don't pick their full team, I think they'll be beaten. I, I, I think things are just looking like you know you have to stand the retirement and a few other bits. Carberry's back. I, I think it could be Munster's day, but I think it's going to be an absolute cracker, and I cannot wait for it. Rod, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Cheers. That's all we have time for this week on the left wing. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on Independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening. And goodbye.